you have called us your bride. Help us, Father, to so believe that truth, that testimony of your Son, that we might trust in all circumstances, whatever the storm, whatever the season of our life, that our groom comes for us. Rescue us, Lord God. Touch our hearts. We've come to encounter you this morning. Your Son is the light of the world. And there's nothing more consistent about the light in this world than the speed at which it comes. Come, Lord Jesus, to every heart that longs for you. We give you thanks this morning as your bride and all God's people said. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Isn't this a good experience? Thank you guys for leading us in worship this morning. And it's good to see our praise team, even though they have the day off here and worshiping with us, just like always. Uh, what an incredible thing communion is, a reminder that we really are the bride of Christ. We belong to him. I've been fascinated by this story I've rediscovered in Acts 27 since we've been studying this idea of being anxious for nothing. That was written by Paul. But Paul wrote those words in that prescription against our anxieties after he'd already been through a few himself. And Acts 27 tells one of those uh, more horrific moments. He's caught in a winter storm, a northeaster, and those who uh, are taking him by custody to appeal to Caesar in Rome are aboard this ship with some 276 other souls. And uh, the ship, though it was larger and stronger, was not near as maneuverable. And as soon as those winds started blowing, they finally just had to pull down the, the sails and trust themselves to whatever fate they might have anticipated. They wrapped cables around the ship trying to hold it together. The ship was tossed. And after 14 days, even the sailors had given up hope of survival. And it was at that time that Paul gathers all those hopeless souls around himself. And, and he says, an angel of my God came to me and told me what's about to happen. An angel of my God, listen to this, to whom I belong and whom I serve. To whom I belong. That was the difference between his heart that still had hope, that still had confidence, and every other person on that storm-tossed ship. And he tells them, you can count on my God. If he's told me this is going to happen, this is the way it's going to be. We find out later that many of those 276 folks couldn't even swim. And, and Paul gives them this word that uh, God has granted me all the soul's that I've asked for. Not one of you shall perish. What, what's he saying? He's saying, while everyone else was panicking, I was praying. That's what he's saying. 
He's practicing the prescription he's given us. He was praying, and God, and an angel came to him and told him that not a single person would perish. Now, the ship couldn't speak for that. The ship's going to get torn to pieces. Now, imagine that if you're on that ship and you don't swim. Paul's telling you, you're, you're going to be all fine. You, you'll survive. But the ship, uh, who knows? But Paul is su- at such peace that the others are encouraged by him. He tells them to have a bite of food and to strengthen themselves. They hadn't been able to eat for 14 days. All because Paul is confident in this God who has spoken to him and to whom he belongs. Knowing who you belong to is not only key to guarding your peace, it's also the key to resisting rebellion. I heard a story this week of uh, a parent who told of his experience with his middle child. She was adopted. And it wasn't until after this experience that he discovered the history of her previous adoption. She had been adopted before. But the family never really took her in as truly one of the other children. In fact, one of the most hurtful moments of that previous experience, they eventually, even after they had adopted her, gave her back into the foster system. And so she did experience great rejection, but the focal point of that for her was when the family had decided to go to Disney World together. And though the whole family went to Disney World, she had been left behind. She never quite got over that sting of rejection. And, and John couldn't understand why now she's in his family, why she is so rebellious, so unwillingness, unwilling to accept their kindness. She treats the other kids cruelly. She's rebellious to her kids. She's disrespectful. She's impossible to control. And the family in the midst of, isn't this just like God? The family, without knowing that the story, decides that as a family, they are going to go to Disney World. And when they announce it, they're surprised that her behavior becomes even more rebellious, more uncontrolled. She acts out even uh, more erratically. But to her surprise, she's allowed to go to Disney World. And not just allowed, but treated like a daughter. All the food, all the fun, all the long lines, the fun in the hotel. And that night as they're putting her to bed, they notice something's changed about this middle daughter. And her dad, putting her to bed, says, Honey, what's different? I sense your heart has shifted. And she said, well, Dad, she told him the story. She says, and this time I got to go to Disney World. But, Dad, I didn't get to go to Disney World because I was good. I haven't been good. I got to go to Disney World because I'm yours. Because I'm yours. You know, I think there are people that live in rebellion to God because they fear that God eventually will reject them. So why not just go ahead and give him plenty of reason? Why not overcome that anticipated rejection with enough rebellion now that you can just push it out of your mind? 
almost kind of as a preemptive strike. That rejection's not going to hurt me. I'm going to take control of my own faith. I'm going to see that I'm rejected. But I'm telling you, if that's ever been your story, there's not a person in this room that's accepted with this God because we're good enough. It's because we're His. And His heart would claim you too. His Son already has. When He went to His cross and paid the price for all of us to be accepted, you were on His mind as much as any one of the rest of us. He's the host at this table. Your groom. Would you come to him this morning with the confidence of knowing he has already chosen you to be his bride? On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks to you, our Father, and he broke the bread. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup. And he gave thanks to you, our Father, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and drink from this, all of you. For this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you, poured out for you, poured out for you and for many. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of juice and bread. But even more than that, Father, make this meal a a point of contact for our faith to receive all that we are in you. Forgive us of our sins. Empower us with your Holy Spirit that you living uh, in us, we might live a life that brings glory to our Heavenly Father. Lord Jesus, if we're loved like this, we can live differently than we've lived. Free us for that joyful obedience, we pray. Even as we pray as your Son has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We invite you to the grace of our Lord. The center section will have the gluten-free option if that's something that you need this morning. We invite you to the table of Jesus.